0: well my um, my primary purpose is to help uh, turn heavenly reality into earthly actuality it 's to activate the everyone everywhere and all the time kingdom it 's really to help believers um, recognize and live their supernatural lifestyle everywhere and um, and so if you have a Bible, we just need to jump right in i 'm well in in Romans chapter sixteen, and um, this is a, this is a very familiar statement that Paul makes. in fact, he makes a rather unusual apologetic it's a strongly defensive statement, and it's Romans one sixteen and he says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel That's what he said. in other words, he's saying In regards to this message, I'm not embarrassed, I'm not hesitant, I'm not uncomfortable, I'm not insecure. I mean, if you look up that word, ashamed, that's what you'll find in there. Now, why did Paul find it necessary to say that? I mean, is that just sort of a random thought? And the answer is no. In fact, there's actually a context. There's a meta-narrative. There's a story behind that statement. In fact, context, remember this, context gives intent to content. And we see a context. If we just back up and just read some verses here, you're going to notice what's been going on. You can start here in verse, go back to, say, verse 5. In, in, in verse 5, 6, and 7, it says, um, he says, Though whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among, notice what he says, all the Gentiles, okay? All the Gentiles. Then he says, verse 6, among whom you also are. It's kind of, It sounds redundant, but he's trying to make a point. Then he goes in verse 7 and says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome. You notice that? And then if we advance to verse 9, he says, For God whom I serve in the preaching of the gospel is my witness. Notice this. He's using God to confirm what he's telling as being true, as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Then he says, Always in my prayer, making request, if perhaps now, finally at last, by the will of God I can succeed in coming to you. Notice he says, for I long to see you. Then verse, are you catching this? Then verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I've planned to come to you and I've been prevented thus far. Then he says in verse 14, I'm under obligation to both the Greeks and the barbarians. Verse 15, he says, On my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel there in Rome. Then he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Do you notice what's going on here? See, Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And yet in three full missionary journeys, he had never come to Rome. In all his missionary journeys, he had not come to Rome, which was known as the epicenter or the bastion of the Gentile world. You see, the apostolic represents the ultimate reach and impact of the kingdom. And by Paul not coming to Rome, he is sending a message of limitation. And not only that, but a subtle criticism... Um, even judgment began to form that maybe Paul is not as confident in the gospel's efficacy in Rome as he is in other cities where there are larger Jewish populations like Corinth and like Ephesus, that maybe somehow Rome is in another category, Rome is that place where your big faith and and Jesus and the gospel and your anointing, it's, it's a different universe. It's a different galaxy. There are different rules for success in this place. That's what's going on here. But Paul was unequivocal. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone that word salvation is the word sozo or sozo and it means salvation deliverance healing being made whole it's literally salvation in the ultimate sense of the term bringing salvation and redemption to every area of life then he goes on to say in it the righteousness of God is revealed Now, let's de-religiousize righteousness. Righteousness is simply everything that is right and wonderful about God. That's what righteousness is. So Paul's basically saying, he says, I'm not confident in the power of the gospel um, because um, because I'm an expert in Roman culture or I'm an expert in Roman jurisprudence, but because I'm infected by everything that is right about God and it is contagious everywhere. You see, Paul was brilliant. He had a brilliant mind. He understood Roman culture quite well. But he wasn't coming to Rome. He's basically, "I'm not coming to Rome with an airtight argument to convince the Roman mind. I'm coming with an airborne, spirit infused and contagion that can infect, influence, and change every human heart, every Roman heart with the life of God. You see, what we have here, and if we're honest, How many of us see that there are people, there are places, there are events, there are situations that seem a little bit less like a God zone? It's a little bit less the glory zone. It's kind of a no-go zone. It's a no-God zone. It's like, you know, the life in me is no match for what lurks out there. Anybody feel like that, that there are certain people, certain relationships, certain areas you navigate in society where you just want to get through as quickly as possible? I'll never forget, and of course, you'll remember this so well. I uh, spent a lot of time at Vitch University, spent many years on that campus, and there was a professor there by the name of Mel Sif. Remember Mel? Super Mel Sif. he's with Jesus now. He's in glory. Mel Sif was a professor at Vitz University. And um, I got to know Mel. Mel was, I mean, he'd been on the campus since the 60s. He was like the, uh, he, he, agnostic Jewish. He was Jewish and agnostic. And he was like an encyclopedia on legs. Now, the only reason I got to know him is because he was also a former Springbok weightlifter. And myself and Andrew and others would go to the gym, remember? We'd go work out. Yeah. We were young studs, man. So, and he would be at the gym, and he kind of liked me because of that. But I realized this guy is out of my league intellectually. In fact, I never thought about sharing Jesus with him one time. I just, I was just happy to be able to know him in the gym. I'm being honest. It never crossed my mind to try to share Jesus with him. He was brilliant. The guy had three doctorates. He had authored authored, um, textbooks with Russian authors. He traveled around the world doing seminars. And anyway, one day, I come back. Um, I'm at the campus. We're down in the amphitheater below the mall doing an outreach. And I see Professor Sith. At the top of the steps, waving at me to get my attention. So I walk up the steps, and how are you doing, Professor Sif? And he says, I'm fine, I was, um, but I had something happen to me, and I've got to talk to you about it. I, I was in Denver, and I was doing a seminar in Denver, and I had this experience, um, and, and I just want to come talk to you about it. And so I said, I said, okay, what well, we had at that time, we had an office at the top of Decorte Street, right next. used to be a standard bank, and we had one of our first venues there off-campus. That was the first off-campus venue, I think, that we utilized on Decorte Avenue, right above the campus. And I said, okay. I said, well, how about coming to me, uh, coming at lunchtime tomorrow, and we'll talk about what happened to you. So anyway, he said, okay, now I'm not, I'm just being real vulnerable, okay? I, I was hoping he wasn't going to show. <laughs> Seriously. I'm, now, I'm not an apologetic lightweight. I mean, I, I got Josh McDowell down to a science. I can do manuscript evidence with the best of them. I can impress you, but this guy was out of my league. He was like Nobel Prize winning category, just too smart. So I thought, so anyway, so I was half hoping he wasn't going to show in fact. to to be even more humbled I was on the telephone that morning seeing if I could find a couple of my smarter friends you know maybe maybe get some help I I tried to get a hold of Andrew I called other people I seriously I was on the phone looking for people that I thought might you know might help me when I get with this guy I'm, I'm having no luck anyway all of a sudden knock knock on the door and sure enough, there he is. Comes into my office, got a, got a paper bag lunch. Typical prof. <laughs> Typical prof. Offers me half of his sandwich. I said, that's okay. So I'm sitting at my desk. He's on the other side of the desk in a chair. And um, he's going to start um, He starts to tell me about an experience that he had in the States. Now, oh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I promise this is what I was thinking. In my head, I'm trying to think of something real smart to say. I am. Just something that's going to kind of put me up there at his cranial, (laughs) cerebral level. So I'm sitting there trying to think, what am I going to say that sounds smart? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, ask him if you can pray for him. Now, I I thought to myself, that doesn't sound real smart, but I know how to do that. (laughs) That I can do. So I said... I said, Professor Sif, would you mind before we talk any further if I just pray for you? And he said, that's okay, sure. So I walked around the desk, and I was about to, I was going to put my hands on him to pray for him, and before I had a chance to put my hands on him, the Holy Spirit knocked him out of his seat, and he's on the floor. Isn't that true? On the floor, I'm, whoa! I, I just prayed in tongues. I, because I realized the Holy Ghost had showed up and I'm praying in tongues. And he's weeping. He's weeping and he's repenting for 20 minutes. And I'm just, all I'm doing is praying in tongues. And by the time he got up, he was born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? Yeah. And he became a faithful partner and member of our church for many years until he moved with his wife to the United States. Yeah, hum. <laughs> exactly. But isn't, isn't it true, though, that, that somehow there are these places, there are these situations that just seem like, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, faith doesn't work as well there. Simple faith and trust and risk doesn't work as well there. Now, Paul, finding it necessary to defend himself, highlights one of the biggest impediments, one of the biggest hindrances uh, to living a supernatural lifestyle everywhere, and it's called dualism. It's called dualism. Now, now dualism in general is the idea that in in certain uh, domains, there are two different categories or kinds, diametrical opposites, like in morality, we have good and evil. In human design, we have mind and body or form and function. In time, we have finite um, and infinite, the temporal and the eternal. But it's, and, and, but it's the Gnostic dualism that has leavened so much of our Western culture and so much of our, our mind with this proclivity, uh, this tendency to separate um, our supernatural, spiritual life from areas, from spheres of our natural, social, material life. In other words, in fact, the Gnostics The Gnostic, there were Gnostic believers, there were Gnostic Christians, and the Gnostics saw the higher order and the lower order. They saw the material world is so tainted and so corrupted, there is no way God could interface with the material, natural world. It got so bad they literally denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus because they said there's no way the divine and the natural can coalesce. And we know that's not true because Jesus was a perfect example of perfect humanity in partnership with all that's divine. And so what we have is we have this, and even if we're not consciously aware of it, there's so many things we do that reveal that, is that there's kind of the the God zone, the Holy Ghost zone, God's turf, and then there's the natural, kind of the material um, realm. In fact, this this um, dualism is is so prevalent that many and i say this with all due respect but many christians live like functional deists deism is the concept that god created everything and then went on a holiday an extended holiday and he left us all to just do stuff and one day he's going to come back and so deism is simply Acting in some area in your life as if God 's not involved, yeah. and there's a lot of us in different places and different spheres that are like that. we are engaging that relationship, gauging that event, gauging that that job as if God is at a distance, and that's far from true that's right. really is now although Most of us will philosophically and conceptually um, reject that kind of dualism. We unconsciously cultivate it through what I call hierarchies of preference. Basically, what a hierarchy of preference is, it's where... It's where our current level of knowledge and experience with God becomes a preference and it becomes the measurement for the how much of God. Say that again. It's where our current knowledge and experience with God becomes our preference and it begins to shape the how much of of God. Let me back up. There's different events, different events, experiences, different behaviors, make us more God aware. We were very God aware in that what worship was incredible. How many, there's a level of God awareness. So it's like, you know, in, in worship, in prayer, in evangelism, in fire tunnels, praying for the sick, things that we do that make us more God aware. But what happens is after a period of time it morphs into God is more into our sensational worship on Sunday than our science workshop on Tuesday. God is more into evangelism than engineering. God is more into our intercession than innovation. God is more into the mission field than the sports field. God is more in the boardroom than the prayer, uh, the prayer room, than the boardroom. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, true. Our level of God awareness begins to shape the how much of God. Now, don't get me wrong, man, at all. I mean, it. it our level of God awareness is wonderful, it really is. Thank God for that. But thank God for the fact that our degree of God awareness is not the measure for what God does and where God is. Yeah, I'm real glad about that. This is such a big deal. In fact, I want to read something to you. I mean, David, pre-New Covenant, David had New Covenant revelation, New Covenant experience ever before Calvary. I want to just read this to you. David really understood this. It's Psalms 139. I've spent, I've spent so much time j- on a journey in this, in this chapter. And he says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely darkness will overwhelm me and light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the light is as bright as dawn. This actually used to bother me. Many years ago when I read this, it bothered me. It says, darkness and light are alike to you. That bugged me. Because I thought it's talking about that they're both equal in God's eyes. That's not what this means. What this means is that no matter how dark it is around you, God is undiminished in his nature towards you. Yeah, thats that was a good time to say amen. I'm going to give you another chance. No matter how dark it is around you, Jesus, God is undiminished in his nature towards you. That's what that means. You got to realize God's presence shows up wherever he finds faith. Faith is a glory magnet. Seriously, you can be in the doggy doo-doo up to your nostrils. I mean, seriously. And if you exercise faith, heaven's right there. Think about it when you repent, how dark it was before you repented. I remember before I got born again. I remember how dark. How ugly, how fallen that was. And the only distance between me and him was a turn. Wow. <laughs> the only distance between you and glory is in a turn. One decision. And not just one decision in a church service or in a prayer line, but one decision anywhere. You ever, whenever you exercise faith, there heavens right there. At the speed of light. It's right there. One of my favorite Bible characters is Peter. I, I love Peter. I can relate to Peter. He was a verbal processor. I'm a verbal processor. You know, verbal processors tend to learn quicker but more painfully. Because they learn in front of everybody. Boy, that was stupid. Got to reel that sucker in. I'll, I mean, I was at a. I was doing years ago. This was in the late 1980s. It was at a. I was doing a youth. I was here in Johannesburg doing a youth service. I'll never forget this. At this youth service, I think it was Roger's old church. They had Assemblies of God Church. I was doing a youth service, and afterwards, a young man comes up to me, and he's really mad at what I said. And he said to me, he says, man, I don't agree with anything you had to say. And I looked at him, and I said, well, that's okay, because I don't agree with everything I say either. <laughs> and um, you got to reel that one and work on that thing for a while. But think about it. Here's Peter. He had been with Jesus for three, almost three and a half years. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the number one disciple following love on legs. He'd been in, in, in just the most, the most powerful, pure environment of love imaginable. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers come to take him away, they come to arrest him. He pulls out a sword, and he cuts off a guy's ear. Do you realize? Just let's stop a moment, and let's camp out there. Do you realize how sick that is? Do you know if you cut off someone's body part, you go to jail? That's considered criminal. In fact, if you're watching a movie and body parts are getting cut off, that's called a horror movie. I can just imagine John and the other disciples going, Dude, dude, you're really sick, man. You need deliverance, man. That's a dark thing to do. Peter wasn't a fisherman. He's a flipping gangster, man. That's what gangsters do. In the midst of sick dark moment what is Jesus Jesus doesn't go man Pete it's over buddy you know you're off the team get out of here no he just reaches forward and just puts a new ear in its place but how dark and crazy that moment was it just shows up it just shows up I've had I've had two I've had two resurrections in my ministry I raised two iPods from the dead I did Now, I got a point to this. I'm going to try to brag on it, but I got a real good point. My wife had an iPod. This was years ago, and the sucker just stopped working. And I just, everything I could think of to get it to work. And all of a sudden, I had this crazy idea. Why don't you pray for it? Uh, That sounds like a good idea. And I prayed for it, and it just suddenly started working. It still works. That thing still works. We don't use it because it's such old technology, but it still works. Well, anyway, about a year later... We're at our home, and a good friend of ours, Amy Azar, who's an incredible woman of God, a tremendous prophet, and she comes over to our home, and and Connie happens to tell Amy about when I prayed for her iPod, and it came alive, and so Amy said, really? Man, I've got mine, and so... She's got one of those big bags. You know, she's digging down, going through all the stuff, you know, all the way to the bottom, you know. And she pulls out an, an iPod that had been dead for a year. She took it to the Apple store, and the Apple store said, there's nothing we can do with that, and she bought another one. Now I'm sitting here thinking, you know, th- three days dead's one thing. A year dead, that's another gift of faith. I'm serious. I was just about to be bummed. I've got a great testimony about an iPod, and now I'm gonna lose it completely with this one. Seriously. I didn't feel a whole lot of faith. I certainly didn't. I thought, well, what do you gotta do? You gotta do it. I prayed for it, and it came to life. Complete. Now, that, don't bring me your bad technology, your bad computers. People were bringing me iPods. Don't do that. The point is, is that whenever you choose to exercise faith, no matter what it is, heaven shows up. But because we have so categorized what it's supposed to look like when heaven shows up, we've made it so religious. Think about how much technology affects our lives as much as our own physical bodies do. Our livelihood is so dependent upon these areas, yet how many of us really know that we can trust Jesus in those areas? It's a big deal. It is such a big deal. Honestly, even the way, even the way we do church, organizationally, can, can feed uh, this dualism. It really can. We can, be, we can so emphasize a specific place, a specific, you know, event or system that we unwittingly de-emphasize the rest of our daily lives. In fact, we allow the identity of church, you know the identity of church is you in the trenches of daily life full of Jesus. That is the best reflection of the identity of church. We let the identity of church get restricted by the institution of church. It's where we it's where our thriving faith on Sunday dials down to surviving faith on Monday. It happens. It's like there's this switch. You know, I know Jesus loves me, I know he's with me, but that kind of faith, that that sense, that awareness, wait a minute, he didn't leave me at the building. He's not less with me at my workplace. He's not less with me at the, at the petrol pumps. There's no lesser place. You know, in a, in, a view, in, a, in, a, in a universe where our galaxy is but a speck, God knows exactly where you are. In a universe where our galaxy is but a speck, God knows exactly where you are. How cool is that? I mean, even, even the way we, we approach Matthew 28 or the Great Commission, the language there we've got all wrong. We've got the language there are all wrong. We, we, we think it says, go therefore and make disciples. And in our linear thinking, we think go therefore means out there on the mission field. Out there somewhere where it's going to work better. That's not the language of Matthew 28, 19. It says, as you go. As you do life. Disciple nations, disciple people, impact culture, live the way Jesus lives. Do what Jesus does. I, I, I spend a lot of time with, with Christians in the marketplace. These are business leaders that have such a passion to have Jesus in their company, they really do. But often when I first connect with them, I find them also in this sort of hierarchy of preference. In other words, their version of Jesus showing up in their company is a prayer meeting before work and a Bible study at lunch now don't get me wrong i love prayer meetings i love the bible but sometimes prayer meetings are a little more than god would you bless all this stuff that we do without you what about trusting him in in research and development r&d what does it look like when jesus shows up in r&d and manufacturing and production and human resources and, and management, administration, sales, marketing, finance. Yeah. What does it look like when Jesus shows up in those areas? Think about it, how, you, how well do you think your marriage is gonna do when only at the dinner table and in the marriage bed you show up? Yeah. Not well, <laughs> not, not well, won't last very long. You know that no matter where you are together, you're together. There's an awareness, there's an engagement. Francis Bacon, Lord Francis Bacon, he's been called the father of the scientific method. He was credited with taking science from the contemplated to the practical. And he made this statement, he said there are Two books laid before us to keep us from falling into error. One is the volume of scripture, which reveals the will of God. The other is volume of creation, which demonstrates his power. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Wow. One reason why Christianity could give rise to so much great science is because those believers had God awareness in everything. It didn't shut off or take a back seat in their studies, in their vocations, in their entrepreneurial steps. In fact, Paul was owned and operated by this. He really was. Owned and operated by this. Think about Romans 1. What did he, in, in, in verse 20, I believe. Verse 20, he said this to the believers in Rome. He said this. He says, since the beginning of creation... His eternal attributes, his, wait, his, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature has been clearly seen and evident through which has been made. That's what he said. Think about it. His eternal nature, his invisible attributes, his divine nature, his eternal power has been clearly evident through the things that have been made so that, so that we're without excuse. What does that mean? The only place you can find where God isn't is to find a place that's not been made. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When you find that place, let me know. Sure. It says through everything that's been made, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature is, has been made known. And all it needs is someone to show up with some faith to unlock it. All of creation is waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God to be set free from its corruption. All of creation is a heavenly treasure chest just waiting for us to show up in partnership with the one who made it. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> I'm almost done. I'm, I'm watching the clock. It's, it's going faster than I am. Um, and I'm pretty fast. <laughs> My wife's the tortoise, I'm the hare. That's why we never travel together. <laughs> well, no, well, there's a little truth to that. <laughs> but even, even, even the way we represent the lordship of Christ, the language. See, Western culture, we think very linear. We do. Hebraic kingdom culture is holistic. It's about blends, it's about complement. All life and productivity is in the blend. But Western culture is reductionist, it compartmentalizes, it's linear. We don't realize how linear we get in our thinking about Jesus. How many How many remember this comment, this, this order? Jesus, you're first, right, got it, remember? Jesus is first, yeah. Then my family, you know. Then either the church or your business, you know, depending on how spiritual you are, you know. <laughs> or who's listening. If the pastor's listening, it's gonna be the church, right? <laughs> right. Jesus is first, yeah, okay. No, he's not. He's not first in a linear sense. Read Colossians chapter one. It says, He comes to have first place in everything. That means he's central. Awesome. There's a difference between being first, okay, I've done my God thing, now it's family thing. Now it's work thing. No, no, no. He's central. He's first in everything, not before everything. See the difference? Now that's fun. That means you get to partner with the creator of the universe, the God of glory in every aspect of your life. And he's good. So it's always going to be for our benefit. Always. Did you know this is the primary purpose of the Sabbath day? A lot of Christians have no idea what the Sabbath rest is really about. Most Christians think it's about, we need to take a day off because we're kind of tired. We've been working real hard. You know, God says, you need to rest because if, if you work too much, you know, I mean, we think that's what it is. In fact, they quote Genesis 2 verse 2 quite incorrectly. They quote Genesis 2 verse 2 like this, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. But that's not what it says. It says that um, he rested, on the seventh day, he rested from all the work which he had done. In other words, it was, God didn't go into pause mode. Okay, stop. Michael, quit. Everybody, we're going into sort of pause mode. I mean, if God ever stopped, we would be in big trouble. What does the seventh day speak of? The seventh day is now God building with mankind from the centrality of his presence and his finished work. That's why it says in Hebrews 4, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. It's not about physical rest as a reason why God gave us one day a week. You know why we need it? Because there's so many good things that try to creep in and become a counterfeit center. It can be family, wealth, education. He gives us one day a week to remember that Jesus is central every day. That's the purpose of it. The purpose is a reminder. Wow, he is central in everything. He is available in everything. He is with me in fullness in everything. That's why that's so important. Now, yes, you get some physical rest. That's important. But the rest of God is living with him from the centrality of his presence and his finished work. Can you say amen to that? And, and I see my time's up, so I want to end with this. Once we become Christians, the enemy has one primary strategy, and that is to make your Christian experience as small and as irrelevant as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. To make your Christian experience, your encounter, as small and as irrelevant as possible. He loves to convince people that really God's primary focus is salvation and your eternal destination. And that is such a lie. Everything about your life matters. Everything about your life matters. Let me say that again. Literally, there is not an area of your life that doesn't matter to God. I was house sitting for some friends of ours many years ago. They were gone for a week, and they had a microwave from outer space. And the reason I say that is because it had symbols I'd never seen before. you got to realize, I had been working microwaves before there were microwaves. I mean, I'm 60 years old. I know microwaves. I mean, I've got a doctorate, for crying out loud. I can figure out. I've been able to, and if I can, I call Andrew. You know, but I've never, ever been stumped by a microwave. This thing was like it had, it was a confection oven. It walked the dog. It did the plumbing. I mean, this was, and, and I could not figure out how to get it to work. And so, anyway, the last day before they were coming home, I had, I had some instant Starbucks coffee, my little sachet of instant. I had one left. So I heated up the water in the, in the pot, the wa- you know, heated up the water in the teapot. And I went and I put in my Starbucks coffee, my last sachet of it. And I put it in and I pour it in the hot water. I get it all ready, put my cremora, get it all ready. And then I get a phone call. I get distracted for 20 minutes. I come back, and my coffee's lukewarm. Now, you know what God says about the lukewarm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do not drink lukewarm coffee. That is just something wrong with you. Iced coffee, you guys need deliverance. I don't get it. But, but, I, so I, but I, so I, I could not drink it, but I was not going to throw my last cup away. Was not going to throw that last cup. So I'm sitting there you know, thinking. I didn't even think about the microwave. That thing had spanked me for a week. I thought about heating it up on the oven in the stove. I know it sounds terrible. I'm ashamed to confess it. I was, I was gonna, and then I thought, boy, that's gonna taste terrible. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, I had this epiphany, this serendipitous moment. I'm, I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, I looked at the microwave and I got this thought God knows how you work. <laughs> that's what I, yeah, that's right, God knows about you. I promise this happened to you. Watch the DVD on the other side. You'll see I'm not embellishing this. I, I suddenly got a revelation. God knows how you work. So this is what I did. I opened the door, put my coffee in, closed the door. I backed up, and I closed my eyes. And I said, I said, Jesus, will you help me heat up my coffee? When I opened my eyes, my eyes went to two buttons in consecutive order, which I pushed, and I got 60 seconds. I, I almost got slayed in the spirit. Seriously. I mean, whoa, because I suddenly realized the God of the universe helped me heat up my little cup of coffee. God loves me, man. You know, it's, it's not just the big stuff. It's everything about our lives. There's no area that's off touch. that's not everything. Up. We Everything about our kids is important, even the stupid stuff. How much more our Heavenly Father? So what I want to do, we're closing now, what I want to do is we are going to, there are areas, there are relationships, there are events, work environments, there are situations that our level of God awareness has at an all time low. It's like we're just kind of getting through. If I can just be disciplined and not shoot this person, you know, or jump off a building, you know, or, you know, if I can just survive this. Somehow the enemy has been able to paint a picture of that place being less accessible to glory, less accessible to his power, his mercy, his goodness, his revelation. We're gonna take that back for just one moment. Just one moment. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. This could be a lot of us in here. If you know there is an area of your life, it could be a relationship. It could be just something you're going through and you've just learned how to exist. You've just become a survivor in the natural, not a thriver with the supernatural, where you're continually engaging the Holy Spirit's heart and his purposes and his plan and his hope for that thing. If you've got an area like that, we are going to take it back. I want you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet if that's you. If you have an area like that, we are going to take it back. We need to hit the refresh button. We're going to take that back. We are not going to let the enemy have one foot, one centimeter, one millimeter, one nanosecond of our time and our space that belongs to Jesus. He comes to fill all things. And wherever his sons and daughters are, if he sees faith, there he is. So, Father, right? So, I want you to see that area. Just see it very much in your mind's eye. In fact, you can, as a prophetic act, put your hands out. See yourself holding it your hands you are taking this back from that no god zone from that survival zone and you're giving this thing you are you're giving this thing back to jesus and you are inviting him in right now just see yourself doing it whatever words the holy spirit gets you gives you just right there we're taking it back from that no God zone, that survivor zone, that gray area, that place of of just man, I'm just gonna have to survive and get by. Just take it back now. Just give it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, yeah, this is where you are. This is what you paid for. This is what you came for. Right now, right now, right now. Holy Spirit, this is what's gonna happen. Holy Spirit would you fall on us afresh fall on them afresh with a fresh awareness a God awareness a Jesus awareness a glory awareness that just brings faith to the surface it just releases our faith our faith has been tucked away We've, we've had some hope but we've had no faith no corresponding action in that area right now right now right now now, Holy Spirit, just activate us again. Activate resurrection life. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. We speak life, resurrection life, the goodness of God, His creativity, His authority, His power, His wisdom. Right now, right now. <laughs> right now some of you are just feeling faith is right there it is it's like you got a faith and even though the circumstance hasn't changed inside it has that's where the battles always won everything else are just perks and fringe benefits the battle is won suddenly there's faith there it is wow I've got faith for that I see Jesus in that man that hope is just refreshed there's an excitement I just know that when I'm there, when I'm in that situation, there God is. And I can hear His voice. And He's given me practical activations. In fact, right now, some of you are getting actions. Faith always, in God's direction, always has a corresponding action. Right now. Right now. God has given you some actions. Not everybody, but some of you, literally, God's showing you something you're going to do, something you're going to say, that mirrors, that reflects that fresh faith that's being released right now, body, soul, and spirit. Ha 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 ha! In fact, I see God just breaking chains of limitations right now. Limitations—they're like these, these, these chains. These, these just. Uh, they're over your shoulders and they're over your back and they're just kind of just it's, it's like someone holding down a hot air balloon you know it's just holding something back uh, from from taking off from soaring from accelerating and I just see right now right now right now breakthrough over the off breakthrough off your life in Jesus name ha 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 now I want to ask by a show of hands how many feel that fresh faith in that specific area again honestly really raise your hand raise your hand you feel that (laughs) yeah yeah now God's going to give you something to do with it he really is he's going to give you something to do with it can we give God a big praise we love you Jesus everyone everywhere And all the time, kingdom. The everyone, everywhere, and all the time, Jesus. Ah, All right.